The title of my message is Confident in God's Calling. I just want to first, I have two kind of two goals with this message. First, I hear so many people a little frustrated about maybe not knowing what their calling is um, or miserable where God's got them right now. Anybody here? No, don't raise your hands. Anybody here say, Cal, I hate my job. Boy, I'm just, I'm not feeling fulfilled where I'm at right now. I don't understand this. Have I disqualified myself from hearing God's voice? Do I, do I not have a calling at all? Um, doesn't he like me? What's, what's the deal? I keep asking him, what's he want me to do? Have I blown it somehow? I know my past, I made some big mistakes. We have all these questions about calling. And I feel like sometimes we, we don't have a, a real good understanding of God's calling. And we're misinterpreting maybe what it means. And because of that, it's causing this discontent in our life. You know, Paul said, you know, wherever I'm at, whatever, whatever situation I'm at, I, I am content in Christ. And as Christians, there should be a contentment and a peace in our lives. Now, there can be a holy discontent, discontent, discontentness at times. God's going to stir something up because he's got to give us a little kick in the rear end to get us to go in the direction because we've gotten too comfortable. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a discontentment that's just, I don't like this. It's not what I want. I don't feel like God's doing or using me in the way that I want him to. So <clears throat> I want to share a few things about calling. Because when I hear people say, I wish I knew my calling, or what's my calling, here's what they're usually saying when they say that. I wish I knew what kind of job God wants me to do. I want to know what particular occupation He wants me to do. We think in terms of calling as in terms of work, basically. Whether you're going to be working in the ministry and getting paid in the ministry, or whatever your job is out in the world where God calls us to be in the world. We need to understand that in the Bible, the word call or calling is very, very seldom used to tell people what they're going to do with their life. Now in the Bible, there is clearly some people are called to specific things. So sometimes we focus on that and say, gee, I want to be called like Noah. He was called to build an ark. Clear calling from God. Took him a long, long, long time to build that ark. We can look at other people and we see Moses and Aaron were specifically called for a specific task. We see that some of the prophets, Samuel and Jeremiah, Amos, they were called to be prophets. So we see specific callings in the scriptures at different times. Abraham and Sarah called to go, move to a different location. We see that occasionally in scripture. We see certain people were called to actually political leadership. We see where where Joseph and Gideon and Saul and David were all called to be political leaders. Sometimes God does those things. But in the whole context of Scripture, they're just a few compared to all the people in the Bible. And you don't see that clear use of the word call. We are to be called to much more than a job. Much more than work. Your life is called to be totally given and surrendered over to the Lord. The totality of it. My job, absolutely. But everything else that we do is to bring glory and honor to God. Our calling is way bigger than what you do as a job or work. And we need to understand that. 
We do not want to call, confuse calling. A lot of times when I hear calling is, I, I, God's calling me into a ministry. Alert, you're all called to a ministry. Quit wondering. Quit worrying. Quit asking God for a ministry. He's given you one. Use it. Take advantage of it. But we confuse a call to ministry to a call, I'm going to use the word professional very loosely here, but we think of it in terms of being a professional minister. Maybe if I just say it this way, to be paid. That's going to be my vocation, my job. And you know what? Quite frankly, most of us aren't going to be called to a ministry where we get paid for ministering. Good thing. Because quite frankly, you have an opportunity to reach more unsaved people than I'll ever have. I spend much of my time working with people in the body of Christ, people in the church, ministering to people in the body. You get to go out in the world every day. God has given you opportunities and open doors that I don't have. Now that doesn't excuse me from reaching the lost by any means. Don't get me wrong. I need to get outside the walls more and more and more. And God's convicting me of that personally. But we need to realize that the opportunities outside of quote-unquote paid ministry are greater most of the time than that someone who makes their living in ministry. So don't confuse the word call or to call to follow Christ with being called into a profession where you're going to get paid to do it. You know, to, to know our calling, period, requires this first and foremost. And this is the primary call. The primary call of God on every single one of our lives is to respond to Him. To respond to His calling on our lives, to surrender our lives to Him. Get saved, if you want to use those words. His, his desire, His heart, is that none should perish. Frankly, many, many, many are. The Bible tells us that narrow is the path. Wide is the road that leads to destruction. The first calling on our life, God wants to reconcile His creation, His people to Himself. The very first call in your life, and this is foundational for any other calling on your life, is that you respond to the call to salvation. That you respond when the Holy Spirit's doing that thing inside of you that almost makes you a little nervous. I remember breaking out in a sweat that I need to respond to this call on my life to surrender my life to Christ, lay aside all that stuff that I can't handle anyway, and accept Him. And accept the fact that Jesus died in my place on a cross, was buried in a tomb, but raised from the dead to pay the price of my sin. That's the first call on all of our lives. Sadly, much of the world doesn't respond to that call. Quite honestly, if statistics mean anything, I can almost guarantee you that there's people in here who have not responded to that call. That is the first call. That is the foundational call on every one of our lives to respond to Him. And with that call, once we have responded and accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, in other words, we've been reconciled to Him. We are giving an instantaneously given a ministry of reconciliation to the rest of the world. Let me read a scripture to you in, in 2 Corinthians 5, chapter 17. Or chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone who has received that first call to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, he is a new creature. I'm a changed person. I'm a changed man. 
Now, it might take a while for me to look changed to everybody. I mean, and the people that knew me in Ballotin before I got saved, you know, the guy, the drunk falling down at the street dances, the guy doing the drugs, the guy that's really screwed up and messed up, and all of a sudden, I cry out to God. And he begins to change me. Good news is, I was born again instantly. Bad news was, there's still a lot of garbage. But he changes you. And he continues to change you as long as you cooperate with him. And our life changes. We become that new creature. It, it manifests more and more in our life. And before long, we need to be sharing because with that reconciliation with the Father, me and God connected again because that sin's no longer separating from me from him. Jesus dealt with all my sin. He and I are now can be in union. And immediately he says, you know, this is really nice, son, but go to work. I've given you a ministry of reconciliation. As I continue to read in 2 Corinthians 5, it says this, Old things passed away, behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God and reconciled unto himself, us, reconciled us to himself through Christ. And then it says, he gave us a ministry of reconciliation. Reconciling the unsaved with the Heavenly Father. You know, we have a role to play in that, but we all know that the Holy Spirit's got to do it. But we have a role to play. Jesus is saying, here it is. You have a role to play. Be, be part of my process of redeeming the world. I redeemed you. Now you're going to help redeem the world. That's your ministry. That's a big ministry. That's way more important than any job that you or I might have. It says, ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sin, their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. That should be our heart. He rescued me. He saved me. He's changed my life. And I need to share the good news, the word that is now in me by the Holy Spirit. We need to share the word. You don't need to be a theologian. You don't need to understand everything about the scriptures. As I shared a few weeks ago, the gospel message is simple. You can all share it now in eight seconds or less. Jesus, the Son of God, died for my sins. He was buried and he was raised again. The price was paid. I'm no longer held accountable. Simple. It should so thrill us of what God has done in our life that we can't help but tell other people how they can also experience what God has done in us. It's not about feeling better about who I am, although you do. It's about how do I help others do and receive Jesus. Because he'll woo them, he'll draw them, but we have a role to pray. Our primary calling is a call to a restored relationship with God, a restored relationship with others and all of his creation. That is our primary calling. So no one needs to ever ask again what your calling is. There's your primary calling. To respond to God, to be redeemed and help redeem the world. It's not necessarily a call to a particular kind of work. Work is very secondary. Imagine this, if you would, for just a second. What if your job, no matter what it is, no matter how much you're enjoying it at the moment, what if what that is is a fulfillment of a promise of God? 
to provide for your needs. Is that a small thing? It may not be your calling a ministry at all. It's a blessing from God, whatever it is you're doing, to provide for your needs. This may surprise you, and you may not think of it this way, but you know your primary ministry that you're called to be, could be to care for the elderly, to be caring for your parents, to be raising your children. It could be any of those things. It could be to be a mentor or a trainer or a teacher that you're unpaid for. You just do it because it's a ministry that God is calling you to to fulfill your primary ministry. Your primary calling that you may get the most joy out of and God may use the greatest may be something you call a hobby. Music, writing, art, volunteering at the Historical Society. Any of these things could be a primary calling following that calling to be redeemed in your life. Things that that you just think are fun and you really like to do and they really give you opportunities to talk with people. Well, duh, that's what it's about, right? Talking to people, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with people, sharing your testimony. You've all got one. Sharing your testimony with people. Telling them what happened and how and who caused it. That may be your primary calling in any of those other environments. You know, does God disqualify you? You know, you could argue with me on this, but I think not. I think when we receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, that calling is irrevocable. I am called to lead people to redemption through Christ. And whatever else it is. And, you know, if you're like me, and many of you are, man, when I felt God calling me, first of all, to accept Him, I had all kinds of reasons why I wasn't good enough. Really, how are you going to save me, God? Why would you save me, God? Look at my life. Look what I've done. Look at the decisions I've been making. I'm not worthy of being saved. And the danger in that lie is it's true to a degree. I'm not worthy, and I didn't deserve it. But he offered it anyway, because he loves us. And he makes the same offer to every single person here. The Bible tells us that there was no one on planet Earth that's without, that has an excuse. Because God reveals himself to whatever degree he chooses to reveal himself, even if it's just through creation. Just through creation. That's a pretty cool thing. So we have no excuse. I don't believe we're disqualified. God will use your past as ugly as it might be. You know, I'm not proud of most of those things in my past. And I hesitate to say that God has used them, but he has, because I don't want you to try and do those things I did just so he can use them. But it opens doors. I can be counseling with someone in my office and they think I came out of the womb with a clerical collar on and I've been holy ever since. (laughs) Seriously, some people are that naive when they look at me. So I start sharing some things so they can know who I am. You ought to see ears perk up when I tell them about my lifestyle that I chose. The drugs and alcohol were a significant part of my life. Rebellion, sarcasm, critical spirit. I was a jerk. No, glad no one said you still are. Thank you. <laughs> and all of a sudden they realize, God, maybe, maybe there is hope for them. 
If he can save that loser, he can save me. God uses those things. I don't glory in my past. I regret it. But God can redeem it. He can redeem that past and He can use it. What, what Satan intended for evil to steal, kill, and destroy, He will take that very same thing and He will use it for His glory somehow. Who'd think He could use those things for His glory? But He does. And He does it in your life too, just like mine. Hopefully you weren't in the same area I was, but some of you were way worse. Praise God. No. <laughs> your testimony is more powerful than mine. That's awesome. That's awesome. God will use us if we make ourselves available. And that's what I tell people. I said, I just want to be used by God. I said, there's one qualifier. Make yourself available. That's it. That's it. He, he is giving you opportunities every day to be part of His redemption plan for creation, for humankind. Every day there are opportunities for you to, to just drop a nugget of something. And I don't mean you have to start preaching Scripture at him. Jeez, that could be really weird at times. But to just speak a word of encouragement. Just maybe, to, if you know them well, put your arm around their shoulder and tell them it's going to be okay. Maybe it's telling them, you know, I have a hope and a peace in me. Would you like to hear where it came from? I mean, it doesn't take much. Those opportunities are there every day. Make yourself available. Okay, that's my first sermon. Second one, I'll go faster. I want to give you an example of how God can use people, and it's one we're all familiar with, and his name is Paul. It used to be Saul. And when you look at this, the world is a mess today, but it was kind of a confusing mess at that time too. I mean, the world that, that Jesus came into, the world that he was crucified in, and he was raised from the dead in, and then he, then he was ascended to heaven. He, he, the day of Pentecost occurred, and he tells the church, go out and make disciples of the whole world. Can you imagine being a fisherman and saying, how in the world am I going to do that? The world was different and complex even then. The Roman Empire was in control. They had taken over from the Greek Empire, the Grecian Empire. And the Grecian Empire, one of the things Alexander the Great did is when he conquered an area, he moved a population of Greek citizens in to influence the culture. Now Rome's in charge, but the Greek culture's scattered everywhere. And then to make it really confusing, now we got the Jewish nation, the Hebrews. And if that's not bad enough, the Hebrews are so divided. We've got the Hellenistic Jews, the ones that have embraced the Greek culture. They're a little more cultural. They're a little more intellectual. Usually they were a little wealthier. And then we got the, the Hebrews over here that are conservative, a little bit more legalistic, a little more pharisaical. And, and, and God just says, guys, go get them all. How do I do that? How would, who would be equipped to go reach that diversity of people? Well, there was a guy. He was perfectly equipped for this calling. His name was Paul. Listen to his qualifications. He was born in Tarsus, a very, very Greek culture. Greek influence. It made him a citizen of Rome. So he's in a Greek culture. He's a citizen of Rome. Up till about the age of 13 and 14, historians tell us. And then he was, he was born to Hebrew parents. So you've got a Hebrew in a Greek culture who's a Roman citizen. And you think, what a mess. Unless God wants to reach a whole bunch of different people. And then he was sent to Jerusalem to teach at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the greatest 
teachers of that time. And Paul, or Saul as he was called at that time, he became a Jew amongst the Jews. He loved everything about the Jewish religion. He loved the law. He loved the temple. He loved the traditions. He loved all the pomp and circumstance and ceremony. It became his passion. He was consumed with it. Wow, you'd think, this guy's perfect to evangelize the world. However, if you know the story, as most of you do, there was a small problem. He didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah, and he was killing Christians, beating Christians, arresting Christians. His goal was very simple. i got to crush this new movement because it's coming against my passion for the law, my passion for the temple, my passion for all the ceremony. And there's this thing called the way, and it's these filthy fishermen from Galilee and this guy from Nazareth who claimed to be the Messiah. we got to kill it. Man, in my mind, that would slightly disqualify him from going out and building the kingdom, playing a role in redeeming mankind. I mean, why would God redeem that man? Why would he redeem any of us? Because it's his desire to redeem us all. Listen to Paul's uh, description of himself in Acts 22, verses 3 and 4, 5. It says, I am a Jew. I was born in Tarsus of Cilicia, brought, by, brought up in the city of Jerusalem, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of the fathers, being zealous for God. He thought he was being zealous for God. Just as you all are today, I persecuted the way, the group, the Christians, to the death, binding and putting both men and women in prison. I even went to the high priest and I said, you know, I'm getting tired. There's, I'm running out of them here in Jerusalem. Send me to Damascus. There's a whole bunch of them there. I can kill them, beat them, bring them back in chains. We're going to crush this movement. In Galatians 1, 13 and 14, it says, you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism. He was a big shot. He was an up-and-comer. He was going to be the next president. And he was the guy. He was smart, educated, and, and he had a fire, a zeal for God as he understood it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries. He says, the church of God, I used to persecute it and I wanted to destroy it. I wanted to crush it. I was zealous for my ancestral traditions. And in Acts chapter 9, and that's where we'll focus for a few moments, it says in verses 1 and 2, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Some translation says it was he's breathing it in and breathing it out. I mean, it's like this was the life-giving breath in him. I want to kill these Christians. He hated them because it was against everything he believed passionately and he thought he was being zealous for God. And yet he wasn't disqualified by God. Paul was converted, and we're not going to read all of chapter 9 of Acts, but I would encourage you to. It's, it's an amazing story, and it encourages me. And hopefully it would encourage all of us. Saul, it, it, he's breathing threats and murder against the disciples, and he's headed to Damascus. And most of you might know the story. God comes. Jesus comes. And if you read the different places where, where Paul talks about this event, it, it comes this blinding light 
I believe it's the glory of the presence of Christ comes and, and, and speaks to him. And he even says in Corinthians two different times, I saw Jesus. I saw him and he spoke to me. He got his attention. Here's this man, he's, he's breathing out murder and hatred. And Jesus comes and visits him and speaks to him. And when he speaks to him, Saul says, Who are you, Lord? And he says, I'm Jesus. I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. And I think it's interesting, it's just a little sidebar. He was persecuting the church. That's how closely united Christ is with his church. He takes it so personal. We're, we're the church. We're the body of Christ. He says, that's who you're persecuting. And then he's blinded. He can't see. And he gets a word from the Lord. How many of us want a word from the Lord? I do. I want two of them. He gets a word from the Lord and he says, I want you to go to the city and wait. For what? Wouldn't you have a million questions right there? Come on, Lord, you're speaking to me. Lay it out for me. Give me the plan. What's my calling? Show me what it's going to look like. What am I going to do? Where am I going to go? What's my new job? What is it? No. One little step. Go into the city. God reveals his plan for our life one piece at a time. One piece at a time. You know, the phrase, plant where you're growing, bloom where you're planted, however you want to look at it. It's so real. Your job just may be what's feeding you. And your calling may be your hobby. He may use that. We don't know. But he, he hears and he's obedient to that first step. He goes into the city. And then I really like it because he uses some guy we don't hear about again. We haven't heard about him before. He pops on the scene. Wouldn't you be the guy, like to have been the guy that gets to go lay hands on Saul and watch God convert him into the Apostle Paul who's going to be the greatest missionary the church has ever known? Boy, how cool would that be? Might, must you not have to be unbelievably special to be used by God like that? Wow! Only place you're going to hear about the guy in the whole Bible. He was just a disciple like you are if you know Christ. The Bible says, and there was a disciple in Damascus. His name was Ananias. And God speaks to Ananias. And he says, Ananias, I want you to go lay hands on Paul, Saul. And he's going to regain his sight. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he is going to become Paul. Wow. Of course, he, he responded like I probably would have, but Lord, you don't understand. I've heard of this guy. This is the guy that just a couple of verses ago you were saying he was breeding murder and hatred. And I'm one of those Christians. God just says, I have spoken. I have called Paul. He's going to go to the Gentiles. He's going to go spread my name, the good news, the gospel to the Gentiles. Here's this guy who knew the, the, the Greek culture, was a citizen of Rome. He understood the Hellenistic Jews. He understood the law better than most of those that believed in the law. He, he was this perfect person. And God says, it's time. It's time. He's going to hear and receive the call. 
And Ananias goes and does just that. And when God is speaking to Ananias, He says in verse, uh, I think it's verse 15, could have the wrong verse there, He is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and sons of Israel. My chosen instrument. Seriously, He chose Paul. A murderer. He's beating and persecuting. Filled with hatred and bitterness and anger. And He chose him. Don't disqualify anybody else is my message right there. And don't disqualify yourself. I don't know who God is going to choose. And I would probably disqualify. I would have certainly disqualified Paul. He would not have been on my list. Neither would probably Peter. The rest of those fishermen guys. But it was God's plan. God's call. And notice Paul responds. One step at a time. He first responded, Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus. He responded to the call. His message became very simple. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. The Son of God. He responded to that, much, that first call. That was the foundation for all that Paul did the rest of his life. He responded first to the call of salvation. And then he responds to that immediate second aspect. You are now going to go and you're going to lead other people into redemption. Isn't it amazing? Those two things are exactly the same calling as yours. Exactly. I have the same call on my life as Paul. At least the first two. Called to accept Christ. Called to go and lead others into redemption. Be part of redeeming the world. The redemptive work of Christ. And he begins to spread in the name of Christ. I'm going to read one more scripture. And this is actually found in Galatians. And I'm going to start reading. I, the verse up there might be, go ahead, to Galatians. Yeah, I'm going to start in verse 15. It says this, When God had set me apart even from my mother's womb, Paul was set apart from his mother's womb. Look where he was at until that Damascus Road experience. You know what? I can look back in my life and I see things that I thought were a complete waste of time, like college, for example. And I can look at many other things. And but I, now I can look back and say, I can see God's hand on all those things. Even when I was living in total rebellion and total sin, I can look back now and say, you know, that made a difference. That made a difference. That helped form me. That helped give me these experiences. That helped me to understand these things. And, and with Paul, you can look at Paul and say, wow, he understood the Greek culture. He was a Roman citizen. The doors of Rome were open to him. He understood the Hebrew and the Hellenistic Jews, and he understood those more conservative Jews. He understood them all. He was being prepared. He was being shaped. And even when Satan had him and he was killing Christians, wherever you and I might be before we're saved and living this lifestyle of horrible sin, even in the midst of that, God's hand of protection was upon us. And I can't help but believe when Saul came to the realization and he was transformed into Paul and he realized what he had been doing, that had to humble him to the very core of his being bringing him to his knees and saying, God, what have I done? And then he started ministering in Damascus right away, but only for a short time. His message was simple. Jesus is the Messiah. And if you don't study the Scripture and look through the stories of Paul, you might think, wow, he just rose up then, God had him ready, and he soared to the top, he became the missionary of all missionaries. That would be wrong. 
in, in, in the chapter 9 of Acts, you read verse 20, verse 21, verse 22, verse 23, you think you're reading it continuously. You're not. Between verse 21 and verse 22, there's a break of over three years. And you've got to go to Galatians. As I've been reading in Galatians, it says after that, he said, I was born, separated in my mother's womb, and through his grace, that's how he was called. We're all called by grace. You don't deserve it. You don't earn it. It's a grace thing. And then he says, I was called by grace, and he was pleased to reveal his son in me. Wow, this is just so powerful. He chose, God chose by grace to reveal Jesus in me. Not just to me, in me. And then he says, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Then he said, I didn't immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and I returned once more to Damascus. He went away to Arabia for three years. We don't know anything about those three years, except he was prepared. God was transforming him. He knew who Jesus was. He realized he was his Messiah. He had all the Jewish training and teaching, so he understood, but it's like he had to be transformed. His whole way of thinking, his whole world was changed. Every paradigm, every, everything that he thought he understood, he realized, now, i got to think different. God took him away for three years and taught him himself one-on-one. I mean, he sat at the feet of Gamaliel. That would have been on his resume. That was nothing compared to sitting at the feet of Jesus. When God calls you, he redeems you. You are called to a ministry, but there is going to be a time and a season of training. We need to be better equipped. As the words were shared with Kale up here, you need to be better equipped. Equip us, Lord. Train us. He comes back and he says, I came back to Damascus. Guess what? They weren't all that pleased to see him. Finally, he goes up to visit Peter. Um, goes up to Jerusalem. And he's there for, I think it says, 15 days. And he says he didn't even meet with any of the other disciples. And then you know what, they, know what he did next? The disciples, they heard that the Hellenistic Jews were plotting to kill him, so they sent him back to his home, island, Cilicia, for his safety, it says, for eight years. Eight years. So he has this amazing, dramatic transformation on the way to Damascus. Jesus himself reveals himself to us and talks to him. He accepts Christ. He gets touched. The scales fall off his eyes. Miracle upon miracle. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's declaring Jesus is Lord. He goes into Arabia for three years of training. He comes back and you think he's ready to roll. And they say, no, they're going to kill you. Let's send you to an island where you're safe. And he was there for eight more years. Now, he didn't sit on his duff while he was there. He was leading people to the Lord. But in this little area... As you read the stories, you'll see it will say that the church is growing, but as of yet, they don't even know my face. All they've heard about is this guy who used to kill Christians, who now is declaring Jesus is the Messiah. Eight years. I know you get frustrated, just like I get frustrated. God, I want to be used, and I want to be used more, and I want to use now. Well, he does want to use you now. He does want to use you more. But the ultimate plan for his, we don't know how long it's going to take. For, for Paul, just think, three years in Arabia, eight years back at Cilicia, and then finally, one day, Barnabas shows up and says, Paul, we're going to go to Antioch. And the whole world changed. Paul's world changed. Churches were planted all throughout what we would now call Turkey and Greece. 
We don't know what God has in store for you or me, but he has things in store. Kale, we don't know what he's got in store for you, but he really spoke some cool things. But none of it's going to happen like, some, happened, like somebody just waved a magic wand over you. It's going to be a process. And we've got to be willing and available. So I want to encourage you. You're calling, you're all called. If your job is nothing more than a blessing from God, you should be thankful for it every day that it's putting food on your table, clothes on your back. And now look at your calling a little differently and say, where can God use me? Some of you got gifts and talents that I'm envious over. Use them for the glory of God. Thanks for being patient. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I pray that each one of us get a grasp in a greater way of that calling to redemption, the calling to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. God, I pray for those that are here, something I said made sense if they've never accepted you as their Savior before. I pray that you could use your word, soften our hearts, open our minds, and that we would receive that call to salvation. And then, Lord, I pray that you would stir up in every single one of us your your calling to be part of your ministry of reconciliation, that we would be sharing the good news of Jesus Christ at every opportunity. Make that step to be available. And, Lord, I know you have very specific callings for each one of us here. You've put gifts in each one, talents in each one. And, God, the Word of God affirms in us that before we were even in our mother's womb, before you were forming us in our mother's womb, you had a plan. I pray, Lord, you would, by grace, help us to embrace that plan that we may walk out our destiny for you. I pray now, Lord, you would watch over each as we go our different directions, as where many are going to different graduations and traveling. Protect us, keep us safe. We pray, God, that, that this day and this week we would be available, we'd see those things and opportunities and take them to share the good news of Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.